So there's a mother one Saturday morning, and she's, uh, she's in the kitchen preparing breakfast for her two sons. She has Kevin, who's five, and Ryan, who's three. And as she's making pancakes, they begin to argue at the kitchen counter about who's going to get the first pancake. And they're arguing back and forth, and the mother, she sees this opportunity to impress upon them a, a moral lesson. And she says to the two boys, she says, you know, if Jesus were here with us this morning having breakfast, he would let you go first. And he would wait for you to get a pancake first. And so Kevin, the older brother, looks over at his brother Ryan. He says, okay, Ryan, you be Jesus. <laughs> so what do you believe about Jesus? We're in this series where we're talking about what if we don't know what we believe, what we believe about the aspects or the, the, the things of faith. Last week we talked about God and what we believe about the triune God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. And today we're going to look at the second person of the Trinity, which is Jesus. But what do you believe about Jesus? Are you convinced? Are you wholeheartedly invested? Do you have an assurance of your salvation? Do you believe in Christ beyond anything else? You believe everything about him. There are no doubts in your mind. Or do you struggle? Do you struggle? And, and it's okay if you do because, I mean, let's just be honest. We're, we, we retell this story that none of us have ever seen or experienced. We, 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 we retell this story that is some 2,000 plus years old. But it is the greatest story in human history. And it's been told time and time again. So what do you believe? Do you believe that Jesus truly lived? Do you believe that tr Jesus truly walked with people? Do you believe in the eyewitness accounts? Do you believe that he was arrested, tried, convicted, crucified, dead and buried, and that he rose from the dead three days later? Do you believe that he ascended into heaven and sits at the right hand of the Father? Now, what we believe about Jesus is important. And I have to tell you, a little more than 28 years ago, I was asked a very similar question. See, Kristen and I, we met in the winter of 1992, 1993, 1992-93. And we dated for... Uh, a few months, we got engaged in June of 1993, and we set a wedding date of December 4th, 1993. And Kristen wanted a church wedding. And I was deathly afraid of church at the time in my life. I, I, I was afraid of God, but she wanted a church wedding. And so she uh, began to visit churches in the community that we lived in, she was looking for the prettiest church with the prettiest Christmas decorations because we were going to have a Christmas wedding. And so she found a church, and because she wanted a church wedding, she wanted a pastor to marry us. And we didn't have a pastor. Um, I, didn't, I didn't care for pastors because they were connected to God who wasn't very happy with me. He was this evil, mean guy in heaven that didn't, like me and was disappointed with me, but she wanted a church wedding with a pastor. Well, a friend of the family uh, recommended a pastor to us, and we called him, and he said, sure, I'd love to be a part of your wedding, but I require premarital counseling. And so it was upon this, um, this, this, this declaration that we were going to have to spend six weeks with this pastor that I really began to sweat and I really began to freak out because what if he asks me what I believe about God? What if he asks me what I believe about Jesus? And so we went to our first premarital counseling appointment. And he begins with Kristen and he says, Kristen, 
you know, tell me about your relationship with God. You have a personal relationship with Jesus. And Kristen tells him that, yes, as a child, she had accepted Christ at a vacation Bible school or, you know, something like that. I don't know what the story was. I was so nervous and freaking out myself. And so then he turns to me, and, and I, now I'm thinking in my head, what am I going to do? Because I have no idea what he's talking about. And he says, Scott, so do you have a relationship with Jesus? And I thought to myself, in that moment, I, I had tried to prepare myself, but I was not prepared. And I, I, I thought to myself, what is, uh, I've got two options here. I can tell the truth, and then he's not going to marry Kristen and I. And now I'm going to have to start this process again with somebody else. So if I tell the truth, it's probably not going to go well. But if I lie, maybe I can get past this. So I lied. I said, sure, yes, indeed, I do. And I don't know why, but he didn't press. He didn't say, share with me your testimony, Scott. Tell me when that happened. Thank you, Jesus, that he didn't ask me that. So I just lied. And I, because I wanted to get married. I mean, I wanted to be married, and so, sure enough, we spent six weeks with him. He was a good guy. He did our wedding, and in fact, in the first year of our marriage, we went through some trouble and some struggles, and and he was there for us. So that was some 28 years ago. Well, fast forward seven years. Seven years go by, and Kristen and I are married. We've got two children. We've got a mortgage, and you know, life's difficult and things are tough. And you've heard me tell my salvation story. Um, but we went to church on, on an April Sunday, which happened to be Easter. And, and I really hadn't thought about what I believed about Jesus again. From that point to the point where Larry had asked me that question. Pastor Larry had asked me that question. We went to church on Easter Sunday. I don't remember anything about the message. I don't remember really much about church other than that there were two guys in, in the foyer when I walked in that um, looked just like me. You know, they were they had like pinned up against the wall in the back of the foyer like they were in a police lineup. And, and I felt the same way. And, and then I met the youth pastor of the church. His name was Rich. And I just remember probably the, 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 the most significant thing that happened to me that day was I recognized, I just connected with Rich, and I thought to myself, if, if Rich believes in God, if he believes in this whole Jesus thing that we just talked about, um, and he, he believes in it enough that this is his job, that he's a pastor, and I seem to connect with him, and he seems to be a normal guy like me, maybe there's something to it. Maybe I need to check it out. Maybe I need to at least dig a little deeper. That was kind of the first time I thought, maybe I really should figure out what I believe about Jesus. Well, the very next day, Pastor Rich and another pastor from the church, Pastor Vicki, came to our house to just check in on us, thank us for coming to church. And, um, and Vicki, she asked me the same question that Pastor Larry did. And I didn't lie this time. Something was happening in my life, and I said, you know, no, I've never accepted Christ. I, I don't really even know what that's all about. And they didn't press and they didn't push. They just gave me this little booklet. And if you've been around here any length of time since I've been here, you know that the next day in the back of my Aramark laundry truck, I accepted Christ. And what I believed about Jesus changed completely. I dreaded that question for most of my life. Most of the times I dreaded that question because I didn't really know what answering that question would really mean. I didn't understand. I didn't, I didn't know enough to know that I needed to have that question answered in my life. But somehow through the years, somehow I knew that it was important. Somehow I knew that eventually it, w- it would require me to be honest It would require me to get real with myself. It it would ultimately, ultimately I knew I would need to answer that question. I had to answer that question. To this day, I can tell you that the reason why I ended up in this place was another 
article of faith that we'll talk about in the next few weeks, this concept of prevenient grace, meaning that God works in advance to bring us to a point where we answer this question. We have to answer this question, what do you believe about Jesus? And ultimately what I discovered in that, in that period of time is that there was something missing in my life. There was something not only missing, I knew there was something not right with my life. There was something that was not in harmony, that was not at peace. There was something wrong. And I didn't know what it was. I knew that there was a separation between me and something, but I didn't know what it was. But through this process, I discovered that the separation was between me and God. And because there was a separation between me and God, I had no concept of who He was, how much He cared for me, how much He loved me, how much He wanted the very best for me. But when I met Jesus, everything changed. See, somehow, someway, I discovered that the most important thing, outside of recognizing God as creator and as sustainer and, and as as someone who who didn't make me by accident, the most important thing after that was understanding what I believed about Jesus because in Jesus, everything is reconciled. But see, there were times where I just wasn't quite ready to answer that question. Thank God, I finally did. Maybe today, if you've never answered that question in your life, really what you believe about Jesus, maybe you will. And maybe it's just been a, a long time since you really approached that question. You've been kind of living a Christ-centered life, but yet you feel as if you and Jesus just aren't as close as you used to be. So what do you believe about Jesus? Let me, let me share with you what we believe about Jesus in the Church of the Nazarene, what our article of faith is. I'm going to read this to you. This is what we believe. Article of faith number two, what we believe about Jesus Christ. We believe in Jesus Christ, the second person of the triune Godhead. We believe that Jesus Christ died for our sins and he truly rose from the dead. We believe he ascended into heaven and is there engaged in intercession for us. And I'll say it again. After we determine what we believe about God, what we believe about Jesus becomes the most important thing about our understanding of faith. See, I think a lot of people can recognize God, can think that there's a higher power, can have some sort of faith, but if they don't know Jesus, they don't ever grasp the true nature of God the Father. And they don't truly, they don't truly understand the power and presence of the Holy Spirit in their life. And see, Jesus is the representation. Remember, we talked about that last week. That if you've seen Jesus, you've seen the Father. And no one comes to the Father except through Jesus. And so Jesus is the direct representation of God. And so if you know Jesus, you know God. If you know Jesus, you understand and hear the work of the Holy Spirit in your life. So Jesus becomes the most important thing about our faith. Because knowing Jesus helps us to know God. And our belief that Jesus lived, that he died, and that he rose again is foundational for our faith. It's, it's a foundational principle of our salvation and our eternity. There's no way to heaven except through Jesus. So first, we believe that Jesus came into the world. So that, number one, we could get to know Him and that we could see God through Him. We believe that He came into the world to show us a pathway back to God so that we could be reconciled to Him. And we discovered that if you've seen Jesus, if you've experienced Him, if you've read the words that are, that are articulated in this book that tell you how He interacted with people, you've seen God. But how do we really know Jesus? How do, we, how do we really make this connection? Well, in the Gospel of John, the first 18 verses really tell us how we can really, truly know God and recognize Him. Know Jesus. 
So let me read this to you. This is John chapter 1, verses 1 through 18. If you have your Bible with you, you can read along with me. I'm reading from the New International Version this morning. Here's what God's Word says. This is what John says so that we can identify, understand, and recognize Jesus. It says, In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God. And the Word was God. He was with God in the beginning. Now, this first two verses seems a a lot like poetry or seems like a grand thought, but you have to understand what word means, what the word word means. The word here for word in the Greek is logos. Logos simply means the knowledge of. Logos also is defined in this manner as the word of God. So everything that we have through the Word of God, about God, and Jesus, and the Spirit of God are part of this logos, this, the Word. It's also could be defined as the principle uh, of divine, a, a, a divine reason and the creative order that we live in, and it points us to the second person of the Trinity, Jesus. So when we When the word says word, that logos is the knowledge of God. The reason and and the the reason and evidence of a divine creator revealed to us in Jesus, the second person of the Trinity. So when we read the word became flesh, we're talking about Jesus. So verse two says he was with God in the beginning. Verse three says, Through him all things were made. Without him nothing was made that has been made, and in him was life, and that life was the light of all mankind. And the light shines in the darkness, and the darkness has not overcome it. Verse 6 says, there was a man sent from God. Is he going to introduce us to Jesus right now? No, he's not. John uses a moment to direct our attention to the fact that there's going to be some, some others that you'll see, but they're not the one. So John says there there was a man sent from God whose name was John. He he came as a witness to testify concerning the light so that through him all might believe. He himself was not the light. He came only as a witness to the light. Now we turn our attention back on Jesus. It says in verse 9, the true light that gives light to everyone was coming into the world. He was in the world, and though the world was made through him, the world did not recognize him. He came to that which was his own, but his own did not receive him. Yet to all who did receive him, to those who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God. Children not born of natural descent, nor of human decision, or a husband's will, but born of God. Verse 14, the word became flesh and made his dwelling among us. Everything we know about God, the direct representation of God, The knowledge of God, the creative nature of God, the divine nature of God came into the flesh and lived with us. And we have seen his glory, the glory of the one and only Son who came from the Father full of grace and truth. If you write things down, if you take notes, write full of grace and truth. Put a box, circle, underline it. We're going to get back to that in a little bit. Verse 15 says that John testified concerning him. He cried out, saying, This is the one I spoke about when I said, He who comes after me has surpassed me because he was before me. Out of his fullness, we have all, out of his fullness, we have all received grace and the place of grace already given. For the law was given through Moses. Grace and truth came through Jesus Christ. No one has ever seen God, but the one and only Son, who is himself God and is in closest relationship with with the Father, has made him known. See, the Word became flesh. God placed himself into creation as Jesus. Jesus, both fully God and fully man. And this is a beautiful picture of Jesus. John gives us a beautiful picture of Jesus. But what do you picture when you think of Jesus? Because this 
this scripture that I shared with you, it, it has such a, a large meaning. It, you can get lost in it along the way. But what do you picture when you picture Jesus, when you think of him? Today what I'd like to do is I'd like to share with you four pictures of Jesus, four ways that we can picture Jesus, and maybe you can find yourself in one of these examples. So the first picture that I want to share with you, the first picture of Jesus is of Jesus as Savior, Jesus as my Savior, Jesus as as your Savior. 1 Timothy 1.15 says this, Here is a trustworthy saying that deserves full acceptance. Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners of whom I am the worst. So God himself came into human relationships through Jesus. And he sent Jesus to save us all. Save us all from hell, to save us all from, from living a, a way of life that doesn't honor God, that doesn't connect us with God, that literally separates us from God. Now, there are pictures um, represented in this room of salvation stories. I've shared mine, pieces of, you, pieces of it with you. Many of you have a salvation story. But I want to share a salvation story from Scripture with you this morning to help us get a picture, a better picture of Jesus as Savior. Do you guys remember, there was a guy in the Bible, he's kind of an important guy because the first book of the New Testament is named after him. A guy named Matthew. Do you guys remember Matthew? Do you know that Matthew had a different name too? Can, can you just say Matthew's other name if you know it? Levi, right? Um, now, if you don't know much about Matthew, Matthew, born into a Jewish family, he was Jewish by birth. He grew up um, following God um, learning exactly the, in, in, in the manner that they would learn as young Jewish boys. Uh, he, he was raised in the church, in the faith, but somehow, somewhere along the way, as the Roman Empire started to have influence in Jerusalem, Matthew saw an avenue to get rich, to get what he wanted. See, Matthew discovered that, that the Romans were hiring Jewish people, Jews, to become tax collectors because they had relationships with the Jews. They, would, they had a connection. And, and their role, these tax collectors, their role was to collect taxes for Rome. And here's how this whole system worked. They said, you need to collect this percentage. But if you can extort... If you can take greater taxes, you can pocket the difference. And Matthew, although he knew how much this would harm and hurt his brothers and sisters and his cousins and you know, family members and friends, he took this job and he becomes a tax collector for Rome. And he begins collecting for Rome and extorting his family for his own welfare for his own desires for his own will and he and he lives this way and so you can only imagine how he was looked at by his family and friends he was not a popular guy in fact um have, have any of you watched the chosen the miniseries the chosen the very first episode we meet matthew and he kind of travels in a covered up wagon they he hides from everyone until he's in his place of authority because he knows he knows what he's doing is wrong in in matthew chapter 9 verses 9 through 13 we read when matthew finally makes a decision to change his life around and it's a it's a crazy little piece of scripture because it happens in an instant. And if you've been around when I've shared my testimony, it doesn't take an instant for me to share my testimony. It takes a while. Matthew chapter 9, verse 9 says this, that as Jesus went on from there, he saw a man named Matthew sitting at a tax collector's booth. Now, it seems as if Jesus was just wandering around. He's like, oh, hey, I'm going to go talk to this guy. I don't think that's the case. I think Jesus had been planning this divine appointment for a while. So he goes up to this tax collector booth, and all we have from Scripture 
is this one phrase. Jesus looks at him and says, follow me. And believe it or not, this guy who had gotten rich, I mean, he was probably one of the wealthier Jews in his community. He gets up from his tax collector's booth and follows Jesus. He, he literally kind of quits this job. Now, mind you, quitting this job would be a, not an easy quit because he's in deep with the Romans. But Jesus says, follow me. And Matthew just got up and followed him. And we don't get any more else to this story at this point. Now, the crazy thing is, I don't think we can stop there. I think we need to spend a little bit more time with Matthew. Because I think, I think what we missed... Let me ask you, do you think this was just a heartbeat decision from Matthew? Do you, do you think it was just, oh, sounds like a good idea? Do, do, do you think out of all the, all the, I mean, he had to have, he had to have done quite a bit to get this job to begin with. He was in deep. And to think that he just in a heartbeat said, oh, yeah, that sounds like a good idea. I'll just follow you. See, I think what we don't see here is that Matthew had spent a long time with a deep heartache knowing that he was not where God wanted him to be. And how do we connect to that? How do we relate to that? I, I think that every single one of us who are in relationship with Christ, who know Jesus as their personal Savior, can remember a time that seemed like a very long time where your heart ached, there was something missing. There, you knew you weren't where you were supposed to be. And maybe that's you today. Maybe you came here today and you're like, I, I, I know I'm not where I'm supposed to be. I know that my behaviors are not the way they should be. I, I know that, I, that there's something missing in my life. See, I think what we experience with Matthew is not just a heart in a heartbeat decision i think we experience a lifetime a, a, a lifetime of of an empty hole in him in his soul now this story expounds because not only does jesus ask matthew to follow him and he does but matthew says hey come and have a dinner would you come to my house and eat with me now matthew as a tax collector would not have had a lot of church friends. He, he would have had some pretty rough friends. Can you picture some of your rough friends? I mean, any of those people, you know. He, see, Matthew ran with people who drank, smoked, and chewed, and girls that drank, smoked, and chewed. He ran with the rough crowd. And so Jesus is going to go to Matthew's house and have a meal with him. And here's what we read. It says, while Jesus was having dinner at Matthew's house, many tax collectors and sinners came and ate with him and his disciples when the pharisees saw this they asked the disciples why does your teacher eat with tax collectors and sinners and on hearing this jesus said it's not the healthy who need a doctor but the sick but go and learn what this means because i desire mercy not sacrifice for i have not come to call the righteous but sinners so the picture that we see of jesus as savior is this he came to save everyone who was separate from God. He came to save everyone who was far from God. He came to save every murderer, every thief, every one caught in sexual immorality, every gambler, every liar, every gossip. The person that is the furthest gone that you know, Jesus came to get them. He came to save them. So the first picture that, that I think of when I think of Jesus is Savior. Now the section, second picture that I see or I think of when I, when I think of Jesus is, is the concept of Jesus as a friend. Because, see, Jesus, he came to be in relationship with us. Like a friend would be in relationship with you. Not just that friend that you might do a few things with, not just those friends that you gather to play board games with once a month. 
not just a friend that you would have coffee with occasionally, not just one of your 300, 600, 900, 40,000 friends on Facebook that you just see glimpses of the best moments of their life or, unfortunately, sometimes the worst moments of their life. We're talking about the kind of friend that you have a deep and honest, meaningful relationship with. There's another picture of, in Scripture of Jesus forming one of these kind of deep relationships that changes someone's life and literally then changes the life of an entire community. Do you guys, have you ever heard the story of Jesus and the woman at the well? Jesus, he goes to this community called, he's going through Samaria, which is a place he, he didn't need to go through. Jews didn't go through there. But again, Jesus had these divine appointments. He just, he had these moments where he, he had, these things were, I believe, set up ahead of time. Jesus knew that he needed to show up at this well in the middle of a day to meet a woman who had been living a very dysfunctional, very destructive life for many, many years. And so he shows up in the middle of a hot, sunny day to meet with a woman who's all by herself at a well because uh, she's at the well in the middle of the day all by herself because everyone in her community wants nothing to do with her. And he meets with her and he enters into a, a depth of relationship with her that changes her heart forever. And it changes it so significantly that she goes and tells the entire community. And unbelievably, they take this woman who they wanted nothing to do with at her, at her word and follows her back to meet this guy. This is found in John chapter 4. I want to read a little bit of it because what happens is Jesus sits at this well with her in the middle of the day and he begins to have a conversation with her. He begins a very awkward conversation because she's there by himself and she's a Samaritan and he's a Jew and they're not even supposed to talk. And Jesus is like, hey, I've, I've traveled a long way. I'm thirsty. Would you get me a drink of water? Could you pull some water up from the well? Uh, and, and she's like, well, what do you, you can't ask me for water. Jews and we don't even, we don't even, we don't talk to each other. We don't, you're supposed to be on the other side. Why are you even coming through this way? And, and he says, well, if, if you knew what I had to offer today, you would ask me. And I would give you this living water rather than the water you can draw from this well. And she's like, well, how do I even get this? What, what does this mean? And so Jesus is trying to tell her that, you know, this path you've been on, this life that you've been le living, it's just not a good one. And let me show you a better way. And she's like, well, if you, yeah, show me this better way. And he goes, well, let me tell you how we're going to find, well, let's get to the root cause of things. And, and um, so here's the deal. Uh, here's what I want you to do. Um, I want you, uh, I want you to, I want to address this issue you have. You're with a man right now, right? She says, yeah, I'm with a man right now. He's not your husband, is he? No, he's not my husband. In fact, you've been with five men, and none of them have been your husband. And the reason why you're here at the well right now is because of that, because of this immoral lifestyle you've been living, and you've been pursuing things. You've been, you've been thinking that all of these relationships that you find yourself in will somehow give you what you need, will somehow provide for you, will give you comfort and peace and provision, and none of them have. None of them have. And you've done this time and time again. And because you've done this time and time again, you've not only alienated yourself with your family and your friends, but an entire community. And here's the thing. What you've been searching for, I'm the only one that can give that to you. I'm the only one that has the resource you're so desperate for. And if you will let me give you this resource, if you'll finally come clean, if you'll finally allow yourself to be in a deep, meaningful relationship with me so that we can work on these things, work on these inadequacies, work on these, these, this desire to be cared for and loved by people who can't give you the kind of love that you're seeking. If you can, if you can somehow enter into a relationship with me that provides your value and your worth and your meaning and overcomes your past, I'm going to direct you to something better. And in this conversation, in this time that he spends with her, because he knows everything about her and there's no way 
Any normal man could know everything about her, although the whole community knows everything about her. She says, I want what you have to offer. And she enters into this relationship, and she's so moved by it, she runs back to town. And that's where we pick up this story. It says that many of the Samaritans from that town believed him because of the woman's testimony. What? She was at the well by herself at noon because no one wanted to be around her. And all of a sudden she runs into town and she says, you're not going to believe this. I met a man. Oh, you met another one, honey. Way to go. No, 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 no. You don't understand. This man knew everything about me. He knew all of my past and you want to, he's not going to hold anything against me. She, and, and the town's like, honey, you, if you think this guy's special, he's not because everybody knows everything about you. And she's like, no, you have to meet this person. And they believed because of her testimony. She says, he told me everything I did. And when the Samaritans, they came to him, they urged him to stay. And he stayed two days. And because of his words, many became believers. They said to the woman, we no longer believe just because of what you said. Now we have heard from ourselves and we know that this man really is the Savior of the world. See, every one of them who came and met Jesus finally, finally came to a place in life where they said, you know, that missing piece, that absence, this lifestyle I'm leading that is not for me, I met somebody that pointed me on a different path. I met somebody that I got to know of as a friend in a deep, meaningful way. Essentially, that depth of relationship that Jesus built, Jesus built what I like to call relational leverage in their lives. I mean, with the woman, he said, you know, honey, you've been with lots of guys. And the guy you're with right now, he's not your husband. And probably not the person you're supposed to be with to begin with. And he did it in a way that didn't drive her away, but created leverage in his relationship with her. See, we need to allow Jesus to have leverage in our lives. Do you know what leverage is? Leverage is the ability to move something that is difficult to move. Leverage is the ability to free us from a burden we might be under. Leverage is the ability to lift us up from the difficulties of this world. And we need to have relational leverage with our Lord and Savior Jesus. We need to have this relationship, the depth of relationship that we let his strength become ours. We need to have this relational leverage with Jesus that allows him to leverage his power and his strength and his grace and his mercy to heal us when we're sick, to mend the broken heart, to convict us of our sin, and to give us the courage and strength to crawl out from under that rock, that burden, and live in freedom. See, Jesus is a friend who wants to have the kind of relational leverage in your life that when he says, hey, I want you to do this. You're like, that's what I'm doing right now. I'm not, I'm not doing one more thing until I do that. You got friends in your life right now that if they said, hey, I bought a pickup truck and you need to get one, you're going to be at the dealer. You ought to see what I put on my boat. You ought to see what, it, it, it's giving me an extra little bit of horsepower and you're going to buy the same part. You got friends that will give you all kinds of advice about things and you'll take it. And it means nothing. But we all have the opportunity to be in relationship with Jesus who wants to have the permission in your life to say, I need you to stop looking at porn. I need you to stop with that. Uh, not for my sake, but for your sake. I need you to stop having that attitude about that one person. 
And you need to have this relationship with him that allows him to have that leverage that takes that and moves it away and gives you freedom from it. Third picture is that Jesus is our intercessor. Hebrews 7.25 says, Therefore, he is able to save completely those who come to God through him because he always lives to intercede for them. Isn't that good news? That Jesus lives to intercede for you and me. Do you know what an intercessor is? An intercessor is like you're, uh, it's like uh, not many of us are famous enough to have an agent. You know, you know what an agent does? They go in, they negotiate your contract. They make sure you get paid what you're worth and what you're valued at. Well, Jesus is like your agent between you and God. He's like your, he goes and he sits at the right hand of the Father and he, and he says, hey, I, I need to talk to you about Larry and I need to talk to you about Scott. I need to talk to you about Daryl. And, 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 and God says, well, you know, that Larry, boy, some rough points in his life. And Jesus says, yeah, but Dad, I took care of those points. Remember, we did that. Yes? Okay, now, uh, and this is, this is what is going on in his life right now. And we need to move. We need to do this. And as intercessor, Jesus works on our behalf. And as relational, after Jesus has interceded, we give him the leverage to move us. Do you know, um, you ever heard of intercessory prayer? Everyone praying, everyone praying for something. Next weekend, we're going to start, we're going to focus for the next 30 days to pray for our revival. We're going to have a revival starting uh, March 25th. The next Sunday morning, we're going to have a special time of prayer to pray for our uh, revival coming. And we're going to pray every day. We're going we're gonna to intercede in prayer on behalf of our church and our community that God will do something incredible the weekend of March 25th, 26th, and 27th. Do you know that, that um, after I recognized Jesus as my Lord and Savior, that people literally came out of the woodwork they just came out of nowhere and said, you know what, I've been praying for you. I've been praying for you. The morning after I got saved, I got saved on a Monday morning, Tuesday morning, I got to work 4 o'clock in the morning. I walked into the back of my friend Brad's truck, and I said, Brad, I, I got to tell you something. Yesterday morning when I got to Albany, I, I accepted Christ in the back of my truck. And Brad's like, I've been praying for you since the day you got this job. Kristen's aunt had been praying for me for the, from the moment she knew Kristen met a guy. intercessor and having someone to intercede on our behalf is important. We do it for each other. Recognize that Christ does it for you. And then fourth, Jesus is grace and truth. John 1 verse 14 says this, that the word became flesh and made his dwelling among us. We have seen his glory, the glory of the one and only son and, uh, who came from the Father, full of grace and truth. See, Jesus is what we call the fullness of grace and truth and a perfect balance between the two. See, Jesus was all grace. He welcomed tax collectors. He welcomed sinners. He ate with them. He had compassion on the crowds. When they were hungry and far from home, he fed them. He healed lepers. He healed the lame and the blind. He saved the criminal on the cross who was beside him because he confessed in Jesus that day. And Jesus is also the truth. He condemned many religious leaders for his day for being liars, excuse me, and hypocrites. He called all of his disciples and all of us to take up our cross daily and follow him. He prophesied judgment on Jerusalem for their unrepentant hearts. He obeyed the law, he set standards, and he demanded everything from his followers, even their lives. He is the fullness of grace and the fullness of truth and a perfect balance between the two. He wasn't all grace and then sometimes all truth and how that plays out in our lives if we are in relationship with Christ and if we allow the fullness of his grace and the fullness of his truth to be balanced in our lives, when you're wrong, you know you're wrong. When you mess up, you see that you mess up. Because what happens is you evaluate everything about your life through the lens of grace and truth and a full measure of both. 
because in Christ, if we recognize this, we recognize that there's an equity between grace and truth. Jesus didn't simply come to give us an example of grace and truth. He came to save us in grace and truth. We are saved by grace through Christ alone. But we live in His truth because it's a better way to live. So after we've been saved and saved and we've been made right by God, God says, all right, now that I've saved you through Jesus, I've saved you to live a life that resembles Him, that represents Him. The motivation to be full of grace and truth is not because we need to earn God's favor. It's because being a follower of Jesus means we're like the one we follow. So, how can we be like Jesus? How can we be like this person that we believe everything about? Well, first, we can walk like Jesus. And walking like Jesus means your steps lead you in the same direction that Jesus went when he was here on this earth. You know what Jesus did when he was on the earth? He participated. He went to regular times of worship with fellow believers. And those that, of you that are here today, you've done the same. So good. But there's lots of people that we know that love Jesus that don't show up at church. So encourage them to walk like Jesus by continuing to be a part of regular worship and fellowship. I always thought, I wonder what my neighbors think every Sunday morning when I'm getting ready to leave. I mean, I wonder what my neighbors thought today when I was out throwing boxes of pies and trunks and scraping the windows and this and that and dressed like this, you know, I wonder if they thought, do you think they thought he's going to church? Probably about the only place they thought I was going. Although there have been days when I've shown up at lunch after church wearing one of my outfits and they're like, really, you were the pastor? You preached in that outfit? Here's the thing. Your neighbors might not say a word, but they know. They know. They're going to notice. When Jesus was here, he walked into areas of service. He gave of himself. He gave of his time and his talents and his resources. Donate. Give your time and your talents to those who are in need and the things that serve to spread the message of the gospel. Do you know that some of the times that God has spoken so clearly in my life through others has been when they have served me? These two guys that I went to church with in Oregon showed up at the house I was trying to sell in Oregon that had water underneath it and helped me dig a French drain. There's no way I would have accomplished that by myself. But those two guys were, they looked as much like Jesus in the mud as he ever could in Scripture. And so you might not show up thinking you're going to spread the gospel when you're cutting somebody's tree down or you're hauling their garbage away, or you're helping them move. But in Jesus' name, you're showing up, looking just like him, doing the same work. And by doing so, God's going to give you an opportunity to say, why'd you give up this time to help me? Why'd you? Well, because God's blessed me, and I want to be a blessing to others. He will, Jesus, he, 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 walked away he defeated sin and so your steps if you want to if you want to walk like jesus your steps won't take you into bars and nightclubs won't take you into things that just aren't going to honor him anything that's not god honoring unhealthy relationships if jesus is true your your lord and savior he's going to direct your path in a way that you recognize, I don't belong there anymore. That's not where I'm at anymore. I was a Led Zeppelin fan before I became a Christian. I had, I had like every CD they brought out. I even had what was called bootleg CDs. In like the 70s when they were big, some guy would be at a concert in the middle of the field with a two-reel recorder and he'd be hiding and he'd record this concert. Somehow it ended up on a CD somewhere. And I had them all. 
And they were tucked away in our entertainment center. And about a year after becoming a Christian, we were doing some spring cleaning and, and I was going through, and all of a sudden I discovered all these Led Zeppelin albums. And I really liked their music, but a lot of the lyrics aren't God honoring. They don't draw me to God. And so I just was like, I got to get rid of these. So I went back down to the record store that I bought them from and sold them back. And I'm not saying that you got to do that. Don't go sell your Led Zeppelin collection or your Pink Floyd collection unless the Lord convicts you of that. But what you should see happen in your life is that places you went that just kind of separated you from God, you don't go there anymore. You don't even have a desire to go there anymore. Second, talk like Jesus. We have four books of the Bible filled with Jesus' teachings. We also know in reading the last verses of the book of John that these four books are just merely a sampling of what he said. Listen to this, John 20, verses 30 and 31 says this, Jesus performed many other signs in the presence of his disciples which are not recorded in this book. But these are written that you may believe that Jesus is the Messiah, the Son of God, and that by believing you may have life in his name. Jesus did a lot more than what we read here. He's been doing a lot more than what we read here. See, Jesus' words, they're not limited to sermons. His everyday speech and his conversations reflected who he is. And this shouldn't be too difficult for us to do. Talk like Jesus. There should, if you want to talk like Jesus, here's a couple of little quick tips. There should be an absence of foul language. There should be an absence of gossip. There should be an absence of lies, rude comments, sarcasm, hurtful remarks, words that cause dissension and divide. You want to be like Jesus? Talk like him. Instead, be encouraging, be uplifting, be forgiving, be loving, be mending, or just be silent. I mean, my grandma used to say to me, if you ain't got nothing, nothing nice to say, don't say nothing at all. That's a pretty good word. And finally, act like Jesus. I mean, you've heard that actions speak louder than words, right? Often we're reminded of just how true these statements are in a not-so-pleasant manner. I mean, have you ever been in a place where somebody's accused you that your actions don't match up with the words that you speak? And they're really quick to remind us of that, aren't they? When people do not behave in a Christ-like manner, we need to recognize that. To act like Jesus is to live the fruit of the Spirit, to live by love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. You know, there's a scripture that says, love is patient, love is kind. You know, you're familiar with that scripture? Every married couple that comes to me struggling... I print that scripture out and I tell them, uh, I'm going to give you like 10 copies. You put it everywhere. Put it on your mirror. Put it on your refrigerator. Put it on the dashboard of your car. Put it in your book. Tape it in front of the toilet. Everywhere you look, I want you to see love is patient. Love is kind. You want to act like Jesus. You guys remember when that, those WWJD bracelets were so popular? I don't know why they disappeared on us. I had like every color of the rainbow. What would Jesus do? Think about that. Want to act like Jesus? You're in line at the checkout grocery. The person in front of you comes up a little short. What would Jesus do? Just might pay for their food. See somebody, see somebody struggling to fill their gas tank. If you see my daughter at the gas station and she's struggling to fill her gas tank, you want to be Jesus? Get out and fill Dawson's tank. You'll be Jesus to Cody too because he won't have to go out later and do it for her. Live what you believe and don't be ashamed of the gospel. Remember that what you do and say could have eternal effects on someone else. And they do have eternal effects on you. And then share Jesus. Max Lucado wrote in his book, just like Jesus, that there are going to be, a, there are going to be a, a lot of really, really nice people in hell. There's going to be a lot of really, really good people in hell. I was a good person. I didn't speed. 
I didn't smoke, I didn't drink, I didn't run with girls that did. I paid my taxes, but they didn't know Jesus. See, it's not enough to just be nice. It's not enough to just do good deeds and not say bad words or do bad things. For these things to be the true fruit of the Spirit, Jesus needs to be the reason you do them. Everything that you do should be motivated by Jesus calls me to this. What I'm saying is this, that while sharing Jesus with an unbeliever is best initiated by your actions and attitudes, at some point you need to let that person know that the reason why you live the way you do, the reason why you do what you do, the reason why you behave the way you do is because Jesus is your Lord and Savior. You need to be able to share with the people in your life why you are who you are, especially if it's Jesus who has made you the way you are. You can share your faith in so many different ways. Tell people you're praying for them and actually pray for them. Invite people to church. Stan, you're doing a great job, man. We got, we got two of your, uh, we, got, we got a handful of brothers left. We're gonna have a, we're gonna roll a, of Stan's brothers before too long. Share with people what your favorite Bible verse is. For me, one of my favorite Bible verses is found in 2 Corinthians 5, and it, it says, if you are out of your mind, it is for God, and if you are in your right mind, it is you. And that's a crazy verse to have as a favorite verse, but do you know why it's a, a favorite verse of mine? Because because on the day that I finally talked to my wife about my call to, to ministry, I kept telling myself, it's absolutely crazy. This is crazy talk that Scott would be a pastor. It is absolutely insane that I would become a pastor. And the day that I had the courage finally to talk to my wife about it, I opened up my daily devotional, and the scripture for that day was, if you are out of your mind, it is God. If you are in your right mind, it is you. And I'm like, okay. I guess God and I are going to be crazy together. Tell them about how you're serving God in service. Tell people. Invite them. Hey, why don't you come with me? My church is going to do something really cool in our community, and you should show up with us. I wonder if you have any friends that might want to tag along on the blessing wagon someday who don't even go to our church. Who just might be like, that's really cool. I've seen, I've seen that. Help them participate in something that we're doing. Invite them to what we do here. Maybe there's somebody in your life that has a special need and you can meet it. Maybe you just have the skill that they need. Maybe you're good with vehicles and you know, someone wants to put a windshield wiper on my car this morning, you could do that. I have the skills to do it myself. You don't have to, but, yeah. But if you got something that you're really good at, I mean, if you're good at taxes, maybe do somebody's taxes for them. Maybe if, if, if you're good at helping financially, you could come along with somebody who really needs help. Give them something that has meant something to you. I have a handful of, 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 of books that... that have spoken into my life and I, I keep them in a list on my Amazon account and so that I always know that if somebody I can remember and you know if I talk to somebody I'm like you know what Stan could really use this book I'm going to order it for him and then pray that God would give you opportunities to share and the courage to share your faith and, your, and Jesus with unbelievers see you and I are the ones that Jesus commissioned to share his truth so what we know and what we believe about Jesus is important. Don't be afraid to share it. Because here's the best part about sharing Jesus. You don't do it by yourself. Because he's right there with you. Every single time God has given me an opportunity to share my testimony, he's right there with me. Every single time, he's right there with you. So let's, uh, let's wrap up this way. I hope today that what you believe about Jesus has been, um, you've gained some additional understanding. Maybe you came to church this morning and you don't have a relationship with Jesus. And you're like, you know what? Maybe it's time. Maybe it's finally time. Kind of like Scott did years ago when he said, it's, okay, it's finally time for me to get honest and real 
and I want to do that. Maybe today's a good day for you to do that. Maybe today's just a good day for you to, to, to reconnect or deepen your commitment to living like Jesus and to recognizing him in your life in a powerful way. And so I'd like to pray for us before we go. Would, uh, would you guys all bow your heads and close your eyes so that maybe uh, anyone that might ma- want to make uh, a decision doesn't feel as if uh, the whole world is looking at them. Uh, so if, with all eyes closed and heads bowed, if there's, if there's anyone in the room today, only me looking, that, that you know, I've connected with Jesus in a, in a way that I never have seen before, I want to I want, to, I want to settle this in my own heart and accept him for the very first time. Is there anybody here that would like to do that? Just raise your hand. Anybody? Nobody looking but me. Anybody? Anyone? In the back there? If that's you, the easiest way to enter into a relationship with Jesus is you just simply say, Lord Jesus, I recognize that I that I need you. That throughout my life, I've pursued all, all different kinds of ways to find fulfillment and satisfaction, what I thought was important. And I'm here today recognizing that there's something missing. There's something that is absent from my life. And that absence is not created because you don't care about me or love me, it's created because I've chosen a different way. But today, Jesus offers you his way because his word says that he is the way and the truth and the life. And if you want to get to the Father, if you want to find purpose, if you want to find that, that peace and assurance The way to do that is just to say, Lord Jesus, I'm sorry. Forgive me and receive me. And we believe that if you pray that prayer, if you really believe it, if you believe in your heart, you believe with your head, and you say it with your mouth, if you confess that Jesus is right there to say, welcome. And if you pray that prayer, we believe that you become a brand new person. And that God now gives you the ability to live and walk in a different way. And so you kind of, the end of today, when we say amen, if you pray that kind of prayer, it just means that when you get up from your seat and you start to walk, you're walking towards Jesus and you're leaving everything else behind you. Trust me, you can leave your garbage here. You can leave it here. Because God cleans it up. And then maybe there's some of us who just need, we just need to say, Jesus, you are my Savior. I know who you are. You're this incredibly relational God who loves me and who saved me and forgave me. But there are times when I just miss you. It's like, it's like I, I think I call, but you're not answering. And sometimes I feel like, Lord, I call and it's just right to voicemail. It's not him, it's me. It's not, it's not that Jesus isn't there, it's that there's something in between he and I that's keeping this communication from happening the way that it should. And so if there's anyone in the room today that just wants to say, hey, Jesus, forgive me for not being where I'm supposed to be. Put me right where I'm supposed to be. Just slip your hand up. Just slip your hand up. Anybody? There's one. Anyone? Two? Thank you, Lord, that we have an opportunity this morning to to take a deeper look at who you are. Pray, God, that anyone who connects in one of the two ways that we prayed today, not only will sense you and will move forward in faith, believing you did a work in their life today, but, Lord, that they'll share with somebody, hey, God is doing something in my life. If you accept Christ for the very first time, you need to tell somebody, brother, sister, mother, aunt, grandma, pastor, tell them, hey, This is a big day for me. This is a big moment for me. And maybe just maybe there's somebody here this morning that says, you know, I got to still work through this. God, would you go with them? Would you in your prevenient grace be working in their life so that they sort out what they really believe about who you are? And God, we believe and I trust that you will do 
what needs to be done to bring them into relationship with you. Thank you, God, that we have an opportunity to to unpack what we believe are articles of faith. As we do this, Lord, not only help us to learn and grow, but also help us to be open to being used by you in every in every area of our lives. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Hey, God bless you guys. Have an awesome day. Board, we're going to meet soon. <laughs>